0: Uh, My guest today is Annie Murray, who is the still very fresh, I think she said 10, 12 weeks uh, in the job. Uh, She's the new chief executive of the New Zealand Film Commission, uh, which is an agency with quite a broad remit um, to to deal with uh, film in New Zealand. It it funds film, it helps develop filmmakers, um, and it sort of helps interact with incoming international productions, particularly by way of administering various uh, rebate schemes for, for um, money spent on, on production in this, in this country, not just uh, across film, but also uh, increasingly across television as well. I think Annie is quite well suited for this evolved, converging world of, of screen production and that for the vast bulk of her career... To this point, she has worked in television. She's had significant roles at, at TVNZ, at Fakata Māori, uh, Sky TV, and New Zealand On Air. And so she she just has has deep links with the production community. And there's a huge amount of crossover between film and, and television, even though on some level from a legislative and a, an agency perspective, we treat them like they're quite separate worlds. worlds. But we talk about, and I think she gives quite an interesting answer to the idea of a, a big merged agency like they have in Australia that that sort of wraps around the, the the whole sector and allows it to work in a coordinated way. She talks about how they're doing that in, um, you know, with Te Mangai Paho and New Zealand On Air um, in their own uh, way. Uh, but there's obviously a, a big opportunity there if anyone in government actually wants to do the, the hard work of um, unifying that thing. So basically it's a big conversation about the state of film in New Zealand uh, and and inevitably um, touches on the writers and actors' strikes and the, the sort of plight of uh, cinemas. And just a window into the current state of, of New Zealand film where... Uh, what's what's going right where, where where there are issues and and where she'd like to see it go um and yeah really really fun to talk more uh, about film and um this is annie murray new chief executive of the new zealand film commission on the fold Benakwe, Annie, and welcome to The Fold.
1: Oh, kia ora, Duncan. Nice to be here. Uh,
0: so great to have you up, especially, you know, given you're quite, quite fresh in this um, very big, very exciting new role. I wondered if you could could start by uh, just just uh, explaining what it was about the, the job that um, attracted you to it.
1: Well, I've been um, empowering New Zealand stories for 20 years as, as a TV commissioner, uh, and I was ready for a new challenge. I was ready to step up into a more of a leadership role and But also bring with me all that experience of working with our most exceptional creatives and empowering New Zealand stories, as well as the um, kind of commitment to diversity that I've made through my career. And when I read the mission statement of the Film Commission, which is to empower New Zealand creatives, exceptional New Zealand creatives to produce enduring taonga, I thought, wow, that's me. That's what I've been doing all this time. I want to do more of it. And it's, I mean, there's actually quite a few threads
0: there that I, I want to pawn. But, but, um, but before we do, I wonder if it's worth just just for our listenership that might not be necessarily be familiar with the minutiae of the, of the film commission, just explaining its scope and all the various parts of what it what it seeks to do.
1: Yeah. So obviously, uh, funding New Zealand film is the core business, and we have around about twenty million dollars a year to spend on New Zealand films. So that that gets eked out across 10 to 12 projects. um, It's slightly contentious and that there's never enough money to go around. So, slightly. you know, there's got to be some some decisions made there, obviously. Um, we also have the job of, of attracting international production into New Zealand and administering the screen rebate, um, which we can talk about a bit more. And we also have a talent development remit. So we are about um, developing those ex- exceptional creatives, identifying them early in their career and providing opportunities to bring them through to making feature films. Um, The other side of what we do is that we market the films once they're made. So we have a team who are actively out in the markets and at festivals promoting um, and supporting our films out into the world.
0: And do you have a a sort of uh, like a a specific vision of of your own for for how you seek to to evolve the the film commission? Because obviously the way that Audiences, and we might touch on the where the audiences uh, data that just came out yesterday as we record this in a bit. But all all media forms are in a a state of kind of rapid evolution at the moment. Do 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 you have a sense of how you want
1: to kind of imprint upon the organization in that context? The really important thing to understand is that film is alive and well. There are still audiences for film and they're coming back to cinemas after COVID. So audiences are about 19% down on where they were in 2019, but nevertheless coming back. And what you see with um, a weekend like um, the Barbie and Oppenheimer opening weekend, $5 million spent at the New Zealand box office, the success of Red, White and Brass this year, it shows you that um, New Zealanders will come out for the films that they want to see. So I just want to make that point up front. It's still an incredibly important part of the distribution landscape that we have a cinema release. Um, For me, what I'd love to see um, is, well, the two things we look at is um, when we're considering an application is box office, is this going to get bums on seats, and critical reception. So is it going to be critically well-received and you know, be able to be placed at premium festivals around the world? And ideally you want to achieve both of those things um, with every film. It's not always possible, but um, that's the ideal. So what I'd really like to see us move towards is... Um, is being mindful of our changing demographics as a country, um, being more audience focused, so understanding what's happening with our demographics, that we have a much more diverse um, mix of people in New Zealand now, and it's, it's going to become more so. So, because film has a really long um, gestation period, you know, can be seven, nine years in the making, um, we've got to be thinking a long way ahead. We've got to have our eye on the future. And our um, population is changing rapidly. So our films need to cater to that audience, but also to those um, who want to tell the stories. So we've got a bit of an equity um, job to do in, in creating opportunities for our diverse filmmakers to come through.
0: So you touched on a few things in there. One of them being audiences, um, both the the positive of of uh, you know, the sort of Barbenheimer phenomenon and, and red, white and brass, uh, but also the some of the the challenges around um, you know meeting an increasingly diverse New Zealand and, and creating um, product that ultimately attract that, that finds them one way or another. Obviously cinemas is the 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 top of the tree. Do you have a sense of what the audience for the film commission's output in in recent years looks like from a sort of a demographic perspective? Which and through that into equity, I suppose.
1: I think what we've done is really what um, what I've seen in linear television over. 20 years, is we've super-served a certain audience Um, and that is an audience that's dwindling, it's getting older and we need to really consciously shift to... um, understanding the the um, audiences that are coming through that the they're, they're diverse they're young the you know there's a very large super diverse under thirty five population in New Zealand we need to be and that's where red white and brass hit um, we need to be more actively consciously um, Funding films for them. That's not to say that we won't also be catering to our older demographics because they are still a very important audience, and they are also cinema goers. Um, they love go- getting out to the movies, so we 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 kind of need to do all of it.
0: What about the the sort of relationship with um, broadcasters? You know the. Uh God, this, even the name seems kind of quaint now, but basically the new New Zealand, you know, the, the likes of Three TVNZ, the you know secondary markets, I suppose, for um, film p- after cinema, but still an opportunity to find significant audience is there? Where, does, where, where, where is your thinking um, in terms of that part of the audience equation?
1: Well, if you go back to our mission statement about creating enduring taonga, that's where they come into the mix, because you might have noticed in the last year we've had Whale Rider, Boy and Hunt for the Wilder people all play on linear television and still reaching 100,000 plus people. And, you know, Whale Rider is how old now? Probably 20 years old. Mm. So that's an important part of the mix. Not only at the beginning when we're financing a film or when a producer is is trying to pull the money together, um, what can happen there is that there's a, a broadcast deal done at the front end. It can also happen later, and then it happens again and again and again over the life cycle of the film. So it's an important part of the mix.
0: In terms of the that, yeah, you because know, you, you sit at the centre of a, an, an ecosystem in a way, but it's also. And, and there are things you can, can, can control. You've got your budget and your relationships on, and things that you can't. And the the impact of the uh, riders and actors strikes, which are, as we record this, still unresolved. And I, I don't have a huge. Um, I'm, I'm not particularly worried that that uh, in the next couple of weeks they're, they're likely to kind of make that say that um, to, to to be resolved. Unfortunately, how and and that impacts. Cinemas, like how much material they've got, it also impacts the flow of um, productions in into this this country. How how much is the 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 local industry hurting at the back of these uh, those strikes?
1: Yeah, there's definitely been an impact. Um, we do have quite a number of crew who service those international productions. You know, really highly creative, high tech, very expert. Um, uh, large number of people who work in that space and those productions have paused. Um, Minecraft being the most high profile one of those. Um, So those people are feeling it absolutely. Um, You know, contracts that they thought they had have been um, cancelled or put on hold and they can't see where the next job is coming from. So I feel aroha for them. Um, And Beyond that, what what we're seeing is the promotion of films, has become an issue too so that actors who are affiliated with SAG or who want to be in the future are not available to promote films at the moment um, because they're, you know, sympathising with the strikes. Um, and then what we're going to see, of course, with the writers having been off work for such a long time in Hollywood, there'll be a big gap um, probably next year and that will roll through over the next several years. Um On the upside, though, this is an opportunity for local film. So we are working really closely with our creative community to get those local films funded and get them into production. We've got two films in production in the next month, um, Tina and Kōka, And what they're able to benefit from is that some of that crew who are no longer engaged on the big international productions are available, and there are fantastic learning opportunities and mentoring and all of that good stuff that goes with bringing in people who've had the experience on the really big, big big-budget international films and TV shows um, back across to the local industry.
0: Have you, you know, obviously a big part of your role is is to you know engage with the, that sector is there a fear amongst them that if this thing goes on long enough because you know obviously we're coming out of an era where um for an entirely different reason the you know c- cinemas were under in- incredible pressure during the the pandemic, you know both from a content and an audience side that if this drags on that, that it might do. Damage that can't be undone by, uh, by some time, you know, that, that
1: it actually becomes kind of lasting or, or, or more kind of profound. I'm not hearing that. What I'm hearing is a level of anxiety around livelihoods and ability to, you know, pay their bills, and and concern about how long that's going to go on for. I don't think anybody's thinking this won't resolve. It's a case of when it will resolve. The talks are ongoing. Um, they're fractious and difficult in terms of resolving the differences, um, but. They will get there. I mean, it's 1960 is the last time there was a strike of this magnitude and that's when television was introduced. So whenever there's a new um, business model, of course everybody's got to figure out how it's going to work and the streamers have been a significant disruption and so the creatives are saying, hang on, the old um, ways of working don't work in this world. We need to talk about how it's going to work.
0: Just on the stream does the does the Film Commission have much of a relationship with the thinking less about the local distribution side but more about that um, big international piece do, do you do you have relationships there or, or a view on on
1: how that that should be conducted it's a really interesting one that we're talking about and it's one of the strategic questions that the board is considering in the next few months really how do we Play in that space. We've had a couple of projects funded um, that have that have been become streamer projects. Um, what's really interesting, though, with the streamers is that um, they are recognising the value of theatrical distribution. So we've got, um, uh, for example, Amazon um, have uh, released air on at the theatre. And the idea is that the buzz that that generates, the reviews, the word of mouth, it actually means that those titles perform a whole lot better on the streaming platform than they would if they hadn't had that theatrical window. Um, so Apple have just um, ring-fenced $2 billion for productions that will get a theatrical release. So they're recognising that there's value in starting the windowing at the theatre and then going on to play out on the streamer.
0: It's it's almost one upside to the money getting t- tighter as people start becoming more open to an end rather than the the sort of absolutist all right. model. Yeah, uh, we've just had a, a you know a, a resolution of what what was quite a fractious situation of our own with the uh, screen production rebate no longer a grant uh, uh, being kind of codified. Uh, do you want to just again? Explain what happened there, how it functions and give a bit of a a sense of how it's landing, uh, you know, for for people who are seeking to access that.
1: The rebate is, um, there's two strands to it. There's the domestic one and there's the international. Um, If I start with the domestic, that is a up to 40 percent rebate um, on local production. So for every $100 that gets spent on um, certain types of spending on local production, up to $40 can come back in the rebate. There's a a threshold that um, uh, production needs to reach. So we're not talking very small, low-budget um, film or TV, we're talking higher budget stuff and um, how it works is the producer applies for a provisional um, app, you know they put in a provisional application that gives them a, a, a signal that yep you're going to pass the test, away you go so they've got the confidence then to do their budgeting and um, they usually borrow some money to cash flow that um, that 40 percent rebate and then they get it back when they they get the 40 percent when they deliver the program. So what's changed there is that there are um, interim An interim payment can be made now, so they don't have to wait until the end. So that's reduced interest costs. So that's a really good win for producers. But what's the real game changer is being able to combine the rebate with New Zealand On Air and Te Maunaipaho funding, which wasn't available before. Well, it was for children's um, drama and for animation, but it's now available to all genres. So that's that's a huge boost for the local um, industry. And we will see quite soon the first few projects coming through from New Zealand on Air's special funding round, um, coming in for the uh, for the rebate. The second part of it is the international side, and that's a twenty percent um, rebate, and that's quite straightforward. The uh, the um, production comes into the country, they spend the money um, and they get the rebate when they're finished and that's straight 20%, quite straightforward and that makes it quite an attractive thing, makes New Zealand an attractive destination because that is an efficient... Um, process and and there's not sort of subjective what if this or what if that. It's just straightforward. Um, what we've found in research is that for every dollar that gets um, rebated, there's a, at least another $7 of economic value generated in, um, in our uh, economy. So, you know, this is spending not only directly on crew, um, but also accommodation, transport, freight, set building, electricians. You know, there's a really wide range of um, people who feed into filmmaking, and not only in you know the typical centres of Auckland and Wellington, but out in the regions as well.
0: The there is a persistent critique of the subsidy, grant, rebate. Pick your um, you know term of choice that comes from. Um, the likes of the ACT Party or, or the New Zealand Initiative um, around and, and, and has sort of become more acute with the layering of um, Te Mangau Pāho and New Zealand On Air's ability to, to interact. What is your response to that critique, I suppose?
1: I'll go back to the maths um, and the fact that this is a rebate that's administered by MB. So the Ministry for Business, Innovation and Employment, um, because they see the economic value of the the rebate. If you look at the international one, they spend $100, they get $20 back. We get $80 in our economy that wouldn't be here otherwise. They would go to Australia or Canada or South Africa. Um, That's the simple maths of the equation. Then you add into that the value in terms of workforce development, so the opportunities for careers created by this um, this filmmaking activity and TV making um, is extraordinary and these are high value careers that can take people worldwide they are well paid and they are creative. And it's a fantastic industry to work in. So there's, there's multiple strands to it. But I think um, in, a, in the economy that we have at the moment, if we go back to the economic argument that it's um, a $20 spend for an $80 um, return into our economy, it makes it actually quite simple.
0: There's a specific example which I reported on a couple of weeks ago as, as we record this, uh, which sort of seemed to sit sli- slightly uneasily at the intersection of a few of these different concepts of, and, and asked a bit of a question about what a New Zealand film is. I'm talking about the canyon here. Um, do you want to just sort of end and the decision by... Digans, uh, the Directors and Editors Guild, not to grant a letter of non-opposition. This is absolute acronym hell that we're in here, unfortunately. But do you want to talk about about the canyon and, and whether there is a sort of, uh, there is any closer to a resolution on that, which, you know, it's not a huge production, but it's reasonably substantial at a time when the industry would quite like almost anything to, to be happening.
1: Oh, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, that Filmmaking activity is super important, particularly at the moment when we've got a lot of crew out of work. So what I can update you on is that the director received his visa yesterday. So what had happened, just for the benefit of the listeners who may not get the ins and outs of it, um The Canyon is a production coming in as a film um, to be made in New Zealand. From a New Zealand script,
0: New Zealand producer. Yeah,
1: New Zealand writer, New Zealand producers, um, but an international director. And um, what has to happen with the international director coming in is they apply uh, for a visa, and the immigration department needs a, asks for a letter of support from. The, they're not called a lono anymore, um, which was the letter of non objection. They're actually a letter of support. Um, they apply for that from the directors' guild, directors and editors' guild. So in this instance, it was declined. Directors' guild said, no, we're not going to, um, we're not going to support uh, a non-New Zealander directing this project um, to receive a New Zealand um, 40% rebate. We don't agree with that. They're within their rights to do that. Further to that, um, they could have actually objected they could have added material to object. My understanding is that they didn't do that, but they'd made their point, you know, we've got an issue with this. Um, as it stands, the Immigration Department weighed up all the information, they sought additional information, and they've granted the visa. So the director the director's on his way, I understand.
0: Right, and that's uh, that's um, obviously... Uh, th- these, these issues are, are sort of complex and layered... Um, in in some respects, but good to hear that that's arrived at a conclusion. One thing about just switching tack slightly, your role is that you, you actually came into a, a seat that had been vacant for I think more than a year. Um, how you know in the aftermath of David Strong, the previous uh, CE, taking extended leave of absence and and ultimately resigning over what was. Perceived, correct me if I'm wrong, as, as a kind of poorly handled conflict of interest situation, um, which interacted with the board. What what has the the organisation and its governance learned from that episode? And 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 then, can you talk about the sort of general health of the commission as you found it, if that, given that they've been leaderless for such a long time?
1: They hadn't been entirely leaderless. Um, Maladin Ivanchich had stepped up again, as he has many times over the years. Um, an incredible 33 year career at the commission. And I think he'd been the acting CEO. He'd lost count, but six or seven times. So Maladin was there, you know, as a steady hand on the tiller. Um, but what had been paused was, you know, the kind of strategic thinking, um, change and evolution was was on hold um so i've been in you know into that stuff um very quickly, and with the support of the board, who are also very keen to see things moving. Um, in terms of the conflict of interest stuff, what I've found is a very robust um, conflict of interest management process, which has been beefed up um, after the the issue last year with, with David Strong. So there are very, uh, and they're all on the website for everyone to see. Um, so that process is is alive and working well and um, there, there is a heightened awareness uh, I think it's it's fair to say of how conflicts are managed um, identified declared and managed um, and in our industry being such a small country um, there's a lot of perception of conflict. There's not a lot of actual conflict, you know, where, where someone is benefiting financially from a project. That's an actual conflict of interest. But there's a lot of perception. Um, so those it's those perceptions that need to be carefully managed.
0: There's been a suggestion that uh, your, your chair, Alistair Carruthers, who's also now uh, recently announced as, as chair of TVNZ, an organisation that the Commission naturally interacts with quite a lot, is himself conflicted. By having those those dual roles, how how is do, do you believe that 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 um, accusation has has any weight to it and and or, or how how do you manage that you know if you're um, a rival broadcaster or if you've got a a film that you know has is attached to um, a, another broadcaster you know should what
1: do they have to fear from from that setup. It's a perception of a conflict, right? So in wearing those two hats, there there could be a perception that Alistair might be able to influence funding decisions in favour of TVNZ. Uh, what I can tell you is that we have very few touch points with TVNZ. So um, they're very easy to isolate and manage. Um, the, the The films that come through for funding don't often have a broadcaster attached at that point. So that's not really much of an issue so So when we went back through to look at where would there be potential um, touch points we found that there actually weren't that many Um, it would be quite a different situation if if he was the chair of New Zealand on air I don't think that would be tenable but with the commission we are able to isolate out those instances where broadcast becomes is a thing in in a, a deal or an application and manage that accordingly.
0: I mean, on on the New Zealand on air relationship, that there, there has been a persistent thread, uh, born of the you know the the fact that all audiences are, tend to be converging on the the same, particularly smaller screens, and the, the the lines between different forms are increasingly blurry at times, and you can see that particularly in the screen production rebate. Yeah, you know, makes that very evident. Do you, do you, based on your you know your Recent experience see that there is merit for either a closer working relationship, or ultimately, maybe not in the next couple of years, but say by 2030, in a in a mega screen agency that that really wraps a lot of what New Zealand on air, potentially Tīmanga uh the Film Commission, um, and so on, do in one one agency, rather than having them uh, working at, at a bit more mm. distance.
1: The thing with that is that um, Larry at Te Manga Pāho, Cam at New Zealand On Air and I are working closely together. It's one of the first things that I instigated when I came into the role. So we're looking at where our interests overlap, where we can align, where it would be better for the industry if we're all doing similar or the same things, and where we can economise, where we can find efficiencies and costs and, and share some resource. So we're, we're well down the track with that. Mahitahi project, we're calling it. Um, So so that's a good start. I think on the bigger question of whether there should be a mega agency like there is in Australia, um, Screen Australia, that's been a long simmering proposition. It it kind of peaks and goes away again over time. Um, I think if there's a strong business case for it, if it's the best thing for the industry, then we should consider it. I mean, and
0: given your... Background in in television, uh, you know, what what have you sort of noticed that? Where where do you see the differences in terms of the way the the industries or the different aspects, even though they're quite closely linked, of these industries sort of conduct themselves and how 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 they're they're both tracking um, through this this uh, environment.
1: What I noticed immediately um, stepping into this role was that the. Uh, the way in which film is structured as a business is very different to television. Um, so while the storytelling is, you know, largely similar, um, the scale and ambition and scope of film is that much greater and the cost of it. So that necessitates much more complex deal structures Um you know, very hefty contracting that takes time and also a really long development period to get to the film. So those are the sort of key differences that I saw straight away. Um, what what they've got in common, though, is that the, the creatives who are making films have almost all made television over the years. So I know them well, um, have good relationships with them have you know quickly got to understand what are the unique challenges for them of filmmaking how can we as the commission make it better how can we be more efficient more responsive and get to better outcomes more quickly Um, that's what I'm looking to do at the commission
0: and you know you, you mentioned this at the start and it's you know you're the first Māori chief executive of the film commission and it has been a real feature of, of your career in terms of the kinds of people you've worked with and championed, I, I think. Um, what, what is your sense of how that sort of, the diversity of New Zealand is reflected in the kind of really key creative roles of um, film? When you look back over the last five, ten years in terms of what the commission's funded, do, do you feel like those things match or is there work to do there? And if so, how would you go about it?
1: it's a mixed report card. I think if we look further back, um, we can see that uh, four out of five of New Zealand's best films of all time are Maori stories. So um Hunt for the world of people Boy, Whale Rider, um, once more Warriors, they are the four and then there is the world's fastest Indian is the other one. Um, so, you know, that's a really strong starting point. We're doing something right in terms of Māori stories to have that um, as a legacy. In the last five years, what the Commission has done, and I can't take any credit for this, is establish a rotaki So that was a, a Māori-focused strategy specifically designed um, to address the inequities that were developing. So prior to that, there had, hadn't been many Māori films made. There was a bit of a, a gap for a while. Um, and so since the rotaki I think there might have been 13 films made um, and Moodoo which was last year's um, top performing New Zealand film at the box office came through from that strategy. So it's it's not perfect, there's still work to do but I think that's a really clear example of how the Commission is addressing um, equity.
0: And And sort of thinking about uh, audiences again just just finally I'm conscious that you've basically described a huge amount of work and I'm kind of pulling you away from it in, in some sense. But uh do you do you you know you talked about these two um elements of what makes a a, a successful film, the, the commercial performance and, and a, a sort of a critical response to it. How how accountable is and should be the commission and the the sort of filmmakers or, or um, the production partners for that performance? Like, like you know, do they, do you have a sort of a, a benchmark in mind and are these publicly tested? Like what's the sort of, how do you know when it's going well and when it's gone wrong and, and how do you respond to that?
1: What we do have is a measure of box office. Um, That's one good way of seeing, you know, how many people went and paid their money to watch that film. Um, We also have a metric of um, approximately 3% of cinema goers last year um, went to a New Zealand film. So there's a couple of metrics there, but there's nowhere near enough. You know, I I watched jealously that um, data being released yesterday by New Zealand On Air and the depth and the breadth of it and, and now the, the the longitudinal history of it um, and I can see that data, which is seen to be the new gold, is um, there's a gap there in terms of New Zealand film and, and we need to look really closely at how we're going to um, gather data so that our decision making is um, not only about critis- critical success in box office, but also informed by a lot more information. All right. Well, um, hey, thank you so much,
0: Annie. I really appreciated uh, having your, your time and your insight on, on the fold today.
1: You're welcome. Kia ora, Duncan. Kia ora, Annie.
0: Kia ora, Butler here, podcast manager at the spin off.